0: started in high school, um, there was a thing that was still allowed. I don't know if it was actually allowed, but they didn't try to stop it. When I was there, they were just starting to stop and it was called initiation. Right? So the ones that are laughing are the ones that are old enough to remember initiation. All the other kids are like, what's initiation? Is that like, you know, the fun couple weeks where you play games together and you get to know each other? No. It's where older kids were allowed to like abuse you and call it initiation so I was kind of at the end of it um, I'm not bitter at all um, and I was trying out for our high school rugby team and so that's why if the Super Bowl if you've never watched our pregame show it's really entertaining because Carlo and I both know nothing about football and so I grew up playing rugby and on the rugby field, we were practicing and everything and If you played sports and you understand what I mean by initiation, uh the first time you go to practice, you come prepared you're ready for initiation. Um, well, our rugby team was not nice, and they waited for the second or third practice to initiate when your guard was down, and you were like, "Oh, maybe they're not going to do it this year um, and then all of a sudden. Our coaches were at the far end of the field helping with the, um, the backs, and I, at that time, I was a forward, I was a flanker my first year, and they initiated me, um, trying to figure out what's too much detail, but um, let's say I was laying flat on the ground, and for a few seconds, I was flying up and down, all right? And then all of a sudden, the coaches started coming down the field, because at that time, they were trying to stop it a little bit, and he came jogging down the field, and my buddy and I, who both got initiated, we were kind of picking up the evidence and hiding it, and the coach came along and like, hey, did I see some uh, initiation happening down here? Now, as a minor niner, I knew enough not to uh, rat them out, and so I was just, my buddy and I were both like, nope, didn't see nothing. So as your pastor, I'm confessing, I probably, not probably, I lied to the teacher. Um, But I did it out of like self-defense. It was like, kind of like self-provision. And so um, later on, it was like the next week or something, I'm in the hallway and I'm walking down the hall and some grade 10s, and let's be honest, I have to be honest, this is just my high school years of me, like really, when you're a minor niner, like you're brand new, I get it. But when you're in grade 10, are you really at that level that you can initiate somebody? I'm like, you just got one year experience on me. You're not much bigger than me. So there's about, there's about eight of them that had me surrounded and had me against a locker. And they were trying to initiate me again. And I was pushing them away going, look it, I've already been initiated. Get lost. And I was having a tough time kind of keeping them away from me because there was eight of them. And all of a sudden, around the corner came four of the senior boy rugby guys that just initiated me the week before. And I covered for them. Well, all of a sudden, those eight minor niners were pressed against the lockers—or not minor niners, the grade tens. I call them; they're just minor tens. Um, were pushed against the lockers, and the grade twelves, thirteen, or OACs—which, if you're in high school now, you have no idea what that is—pushed um, them against the lockers, and they're like, "You don't touch him." And I felt really protected. From that point on, not enough to be cocky, but enough to be like, I'm not getting initiated anymore. And it felt nice to know that there was protection for me. And I want to talk to you this morning that when we engage with God and we have a deep relationship with Him, there is actually protection for us. So I want to talk to you this morning about being engaged with protection. And for Second Thessalonians 3:3, 3, 3, it says this: But the Lord. Is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one maybe some of you just need to write this verse down today and maybe right now you're like man I can go home I just needed this verse you mean God's gonna strengthen me and protect me yes he's gonna strengthen you and he's gonna protect you now I'm gonna get into this a little bit farther down that doesn't mean no trouble That doesn't mean sunshine and roses. But what it means is he's going to protect you in it. See, what you have to realize is the scripture tells us he'll protect you from the evil one. So the evil one is still out there. He's still in our world. He's still active today. That's why the Lord is faithful, because we continually need his strengthening and his protection. I don't know about you, but every day I need it. Every day I need him protecting me. I need him giving me strength. I need him walking with me. Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8, Be alert and of sober mind. For your, the, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know what the enemy is doing? The enemy is waiting for you. He's waiting to find somebody to devour. Now, Anybody in the room like to watch National Geographic or Discovery? Right? You ever watch the lions as they're hunting? Anybody, come on, be honest. That's the best part. If you're like, am I allowed to say I enjoy this? We watch lioness laying around, crouching down, and you're like, oh, they see something I don't even see on the camera yet. And all of a sudden they pounce. Now, Do they pounce on the strong-looking one in the middle of the herd no who do they pounce on they pounce on the one who's been drifting away from the herd right they're pouncing on the one who's got a little bit of a limp they're smart they're smart hunters why would they attack a strong one they're attacking somebody who's hurt they're attacking somebody who's away from the herd and so they're trying to get people isolated this is what the devil does. He's looking around to see which one of us is alone. Which one of us has drifted just a little bit away from the herd. Chad, are you calling us a herd? Jesus calls us sheep. We talked about it on Sunday night. The enemy's waiting for one of us to drift away and be by ourselves. I want to show you in Scripture. Uh, I'm just going to show you four. There's, prob- there's many more, but four different times where God protected people or delivered people out of trouble. All right? I want to talk to you about four times. And the first one I want to talk to you about is David. Uh, David was hiding from King Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. Scripture tells us that he tried to pin him to a wall with a spear. Now, if any of you work for a boss could see David work for Saul... And you're like, my workplace is just not good. My boss is bad. If he hasn't tried to pin you to a wall with a spear, David had it worse. Right? So David is running from Saul because he doesn't want to die. Now, where does David go? David runs, and he runs and escapes to Ramah, where Samuel, the prophet, is. And Samuel's there, and Samuel is actually running a school for the prophets. He's teaching people how to be prophets. And so David gets there and he hides because Samuel is the one who anointed him to be king. So he's like, dude, I just need a place to crash. Can I just sleep on your couch for a little bit? Saul's trying to kill me again. And so he's waiting here, but Saul finds out where David is. He finds out where David is. And so he sends men to kill David. He sends a bunch of guys to go and kill David. As the guys get close to the school, Because of the presence of God that's at this school, these soldiers show up and begin to prophesy. They just get into the area, into the atmosphere, and they begin to prophesy. So guess what they don't do while they're prophesying? They don't kill David. So Saul sends another group of men. And as they get close to the school, guess what they do? They start to prophesy. David is surrounded by the presence of God, and as these soldiers are getting close, they just begin to prophesy. So Saul gets frustrated. He goes, okay, I'm going to send another group. He sends another group. As they get close to the school, guess what happens? It's not a trick question. They begin to prophesy. So Saul finally goes, if I want something done right, I'm going to do it myself. So he gets a bunch of guys, and he heads to the school. And in 1 Samuel 19, verse 23 and 24, it says So Saul went to Nioh at Ramah, and the Spirit of God came even on him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Neo. He stripped, I don't understand this part, but he stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He laid naked all day and all night. This is why people say, Is Saul also among the prophets? So even Saul, at this point, who's tormented by, tor- is tormented by his spirit at times, he gets into the atmosphere and he just begins to prophesy. When all of these soldiers, when all of these men hit the presence of God, they began to prophesy. See, being in God's presence is what brings us protection. Being engaged with him brings protection. People who enter his presence also enter his power and his glory. And it was enough to cause a disruption in them and in their planning because of his presence in their lives. David was protected because he was in the presence of God. The second one I want to talk to you about, and I've talked to you about it before, is one of my favorite stories, is King Jehoshaphat. He was a king over Judah and Jerusalem, and three armies were working together to destroy them. Three armies came together. They wanted to destroy them. So King Jehoshaphat asked the people to pray and fast. And then people came together and somebody stood up and said, here's what the Lord said. He says, do not worry, the battle is God's. Do not worry, the battle is God's. And so God gives the instructions on who to fight in this war and how to fight. So here is God's plan. So if you're in a tough time in your life, maybe this is God's plan. God's plan was this, sing and praise God. And stand and watch. I'm highly paraphrasing. But sing and praise God and stand and watch. And so we read in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 22 to 24. As they began to sing and praise. So they're walking towards the battle. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the man of Ammon and Moab and, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites... And the Moabites rose up against the man from Mount Seir and to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the man from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the man of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies laying on the ground and no one had escaped. Maybe you're nervous for a meeting that you have to walk into. Maybe you're nervous for a conversation you have to have with family or or at work or a neighbor or whatever. God's already there. God could already be working it out. He could be softening hearts. He could be changing minds. He could be changing situations. Maybe he's softening your heart. Maybe he's changing your mind. But in the presence, in the praise and worship, God moves. See, not only did God protect them from fighting But God gave them all the plunder after the battle. If you keep reading, it just says that they were able to walk down and take all the plunder. All these men were dead, and after a war in those times, they just took all the good stuff. And so they showed up, they didn't have to fight, and they just got a reward. When we enter into situations worshiping in God, he can bring a breakthrough in those moments and in those situations. Our worship can confuse the enemy. Your worship, as you're driving to places, as you're about to have a tough conversation, as you're about to walk into something you know that might be tense or you know something that's challenging, if you take time and pray and get into God's presence and worship him, see, the enemy is always trying to pull us away from God. Whether he's trying to disrupt your sleep, whether he's trying to cause a commotion while you're doing your devotions, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, um, if he's trying to distract you while you're coming to church, if you're wondering why getting to church sometimes is so tense in the morning, it's because the enemy doesn't want you here. That's why. That's why I encourage you to try to get here early so you're able to sit down and take a breath and go, okay, God, I'm in your presence. And worship him. See, when enemy is attacking us, when we turn that attack, when we turn that temptation into pressing into God, drawing close to him, the enemy actually backs off because he would rather you stay stagnant than move forward. So in those hard moments, when you pray, when you worship, it actually can confuse the enemy. See, these guys were outnumbered, but God still moved. Worshiping in those challenging times can bring joy and peace and strength to your life. The third one I want to talk to you about is when Elisha is, sta- is staying in Dotton and just relaxing there and just kind of doing some ministry and hanging out. And all of a sudden, the king of Aram wanted to kill him. I don't know what's going on with people that serve God, but people want to kill him. And so he's just here, and Elisha's servant gets up one morning. He goes out early in the morning, probably to get coffee and some donuts to come back. And he goes outside, and when he gets outside, he sees the whole city surrounded by an army. A whole city surrounded. And he comes back in, and he tells Elisha what's going on, and he's so nervous, he's so scared. You ever have one of these friends that just trust God so much, they're just relaxed in all the situations? And this is Elisha. He's just relaxed. And the servant is panicking, and he's like, You don't understand. We're surrounded. And Elisha's like, we're good. You haven't been outside. You haven't seen what I've seen. You haven't been in the meeting. You don't know what's going on. You don't know my family. You don't know my situation. No, no, we're good. And his servant doesn't understand. So Elisha in 2 Kings 6.17 says this. And Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All around Elisha. The army wasn't able to touch Elisha because of the presence of God's army around him. Do you know that each and every one of you walks with a guardian angel I think sometimes our angels are bored. We need to take that step. We need to take that risk. And here we see Elisha had a whole army to protect him. A whole army around him. And then God made the attacking army. So the attacking army started moving in. And I'd love to tell you there was this massive battle between angels and men. But there wasn't. Do you know what God did? He made the army blind. Could you imagine? You're running towards a battle and all of a sudden you can't see. And they walk into this town. And Elijah walks up to them and he's like, oh, you're at the wrong city. Let me lead you to the right city. I want you to picture this, like honestly for a minute. Stop and imagine what's happening. What's happening? Don't just sit here and be like, oh, I've heard this story before. Imagine what's happening. This army shows up to kill Elisha. They're camped outside. They see the city. And all of a sudden, they go blind, and they walk in, and they're like, no, it's the wrong city. I think they turned blind and dumb. And Elisha just goes, let me take you to the right city. And he walks them into Samaria to another king to capture them. And then their sight comes back. God can protect us to a point of blinding blinding our enemies, blinding the people that are trying to attack us. Now, I don't mean necessarily physically blinding them, but I mean to turn their eyes, that they won't see what they used to see. Their hearts will soften. If we are in God's presence, you are surrounded by an army, and God can still intervene. Now, here is the challenge that some of us need to understand. The army was still there. I don't know what you feel surrounded by today, But just because you're surrounded, it doesn't mean that God has left you. It probably means he's standing right beside you. And maybe you need to ask God, just as Elisha asked for his servant, God, will you open my eyes to see what you're doing? And you might not see everything, but he might give you a little picture. And that's where our faith and trust comes in. The last one I want to talk to you about is is Peter after King Herod had killed uh, James and put him to death, and everybody was really excited that one of the disciples was killed. Then he went looking for more, and he captures Peter and arrests him, but he was going to wait to put him on trial until after the Passover. So he kept Peter in prison. But while he was in prison, it says the church began to pray. The church began to pray for him. Do you ever wonder why we have corporate prayer where we pull everybody together for a prayer meeting or we ask you to come for pre-service prayer beforehand? It's because there is power when the church prays together. There's power when it's more than just, well, tell me the prayer request, I'll pray from home. No, when we gather together, there's power. Acts 12 tells the story in verse 6 and 7. It says this, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. It continues on, and if you keep reading, it says that Peter, he gets dressed and he follows the angel. And as the angel is leading him out through the prison, Peter actually believes that he's having a dream. He's having a vision. And it wasn't until they were outside and the angel actually disappears that Peter realizes what happening is real. That he's in the moment and he's outside the prison and that it, it all just happened. The chains fell off, the guards were still asleep, he was able to just walk out the doors. It says the gates were opened on their own, they just opened. So he saw one angel leading him out, I believe other angels were there just opening doors. Here you go. And he walked right out. And as he gets outside, then he finally realizes that's what happened. And Peter goes to the house where the people are gathered together praying. And they're praying so passionately for him to be released and some God to move that when the little girl who answers the door, she doesn't even think about letting Peter in. She closes the door. And she goes back and tells everybody, Peter's at the door. And they actually have to go and look. They don't even realize how much God answered their prayers. See, we need to pray and we need to believe. Now here's what kind of messes up with uh, Western culture theology. See none of these people did anything wrong. All the four that we've read through. Sometimes we believe like oh if God if you know if your life's not going well you must have done something wrong. That is so bad theology. You know Jesus himself told us that we'll have trouble in this world. We'll have trouble in this world. It's a promise of God that we probably don't want to hook into. But you're going to have trouble in this world. But here is the biggest part of that verse. Do not worry. Because Jesus has overcome this world. So if you've had trouble in the past, or you're having trouble now, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean that you've messed up. What it means is we live in a fallen world. But even though you live in a fallen world, you serve a living God that walks with you and talks with you, and he's able to push through, and he's already conquered this world see here's the hardest part for us God will protect you in the trouble a lot of us don't want to be even in the trouble but that's when sometimes God shows his greatest strength for us if Elisha wasn't surrounded his servant would have never saw all the presence of God See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they already believed in God's strength before they were in the fire. And they still got thrown in the fire, and Jesus didn't show up until they were in it. So no matter where you are, no matter what's happening in your situation, God will still protect you in it. So can you remember a time in your life when you walked through a tough time, and it was hard, and you actually asked, God, where were you? But now looking back, you can see how he actually protected you through the whole thing. It didn't change it. You still had to walk through it. But you begin to realize he was there because it could have been way, way worse. Maybe you were in a car accident. Your car was gone. It was written off. But you were actually okay. I remember when, when I first moved here and I dislocated my ankle and broke my leg. I remember the doctor telling me that if my bone had gone through my skin, how much more trouble it could have been and how much more we would have had to treat for all this different stuff and different infections and what it could have led to. And so I knew in the moment that even though it happened, and I don't understand why it happened, well I kind of do now, God kind of smartened me up a little bit, but even in it, it didn't stop it but he still protected me from it getting worse. So, whatever you're going through, if you pause for a minute, you might be able to think, wait a minute. God, I know you were there because, man, it could have been way worse. And some of us just don't like the fact that it could have been way worse. We would have wanted it nothing. But if we're honest and we look back, we grow through. The struggles, we go through the troubles, we grow through the strengthening moments in our lives. Psalms 91.9 says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. See, whoever dwells, that dwell actually means to remain sitting, to remain sitting, to inhabit, to actually live there to establish a dwelling place. Or it actually also can mean to marry. If you will marry in the shelter of the Most High, if that's where you will, you will rest, and the rest actually means this, to spend the night. Are you willing, whoever remains sitting, whoever lives in, whoever establishes themselves, whoever marries into the shelter of the Most High, will spend the night In the shadow of the Almighty. You will rest there. So, will you engage God to a point of marriage with Him? That you can rest each night and you can spend the night in the shadow of the Almighty where you are so protected, where you will find the strength and protection that you're looking for in the middle of it. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you help us today to engage with you on a new level. To continue, Father, that we understand and know that you will protect us and that you will strengthen us. Father, help us to see you working in the mess. Help us to see you working in the trouble. That, Father, we can see you. You will open up our eyes to see the army around us, to see your angels protecting us. Father, as we reflect the past in our lives, Lord, I thank you for always being there. And so today, Father, as we go, show us the people this day, this, t- this week, each day, that we can be a light for you, that you want us to engage with, to share your love. Let us be a light for you in the midst of everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. And hopefully we'll see all of you tonight at Hearing God Seminar at 630. Have a great week. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.